People had rich dogs in this suburb. People had uh, Sharpays, I think they're called. They're like $25,000 a dog. I had a dog called Crypto and it had chronic flea condition. I was Chernobyl boy with the dog with fleas. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today on the show, we're going to code crack. We're going to delve into money. Yes, we're going to continue the money conversation. Money, of course, is a massive part of wealth creation and a huge part of property investment. Today, we're going to delve into money shame. Yes, the shame of money. And in fact, it's a pretty deep conversation, something which I really am passionate about helping people overcome. In fact, a big part of my journey today is simply sharing information on money, wealth, and the good bits and the tough bits to talk about. I guess today I'm a coach on real estate and wealth creation And the reason I'm able to help people deliver wealth in their life is has a lot to do with my early years in life and my money shame story. I've got a big story to tell you today and I can't wait to kick off the episode. This morning though, I had my first coronavirus test. Yes, I got the swab, I got something shoved up my nose And hopefully, I'll get a text very soon saying I'm corona-free. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm catching up with a loved one this week, which uh, is a little bit frail. And I want to make sure that I'm not carrying the old dreaded corona when I see her. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, today's episode is going to go a bit deep. So, if you need a shot of whiskey or a Zambuca or something... Um, I highly recommend it because we're going to tackle a pretty serious issue, the issue of money shame. I'm going to try and teach the idea around money shame using my own personal experience. I'm going to be the guinea pig and I'm going to share a lot of that with you. Now, I will shout out that money shame in particular is something quite often men suffer from. And I put that little caveat there. And of course, women obviously do as well. But I guarantee you there is perhaps a middle-aged man sitting in his car right now wanting to burst into tears and cry over money shame and really hiding uh, some of his vulnerabilities around the concept of money shame and probably about to walk into his house with his kids and put on a smile and act tough and uh, catch up with his wife and um, act as if nothing is wrong. And I'm here to tell you about money shame because it is a serious issue and I'm a big supporter of things like Movember, of course, in November when gents and mental health comes into into its own um, and we are trying to highlight many issues around mental health. This episode, Money Shame, is for the most part 
directed at good mental health around money. Of course, the belief system around money is connected quite often to our mental health and well-being. So that's a little bit of the background of the episode. And I tell you what, I'm pumped to deliver it to you. And I'm going to give you a little bit about my own personal money shame situation in my life, which I've had to overcome. And uh, certainly today, as I say, I'm really in a position to talk about money because I've had vast experience ever since I was a little fella. Now, I want to talk about my family. My family are freaking awesome. My mum and dad are so funny and happy and they have done so much for my life. I could never, ever be more grateful. They've put me in a position to grow up around wealth and understand money from a very young age. My mum and dad are so loving. They actually really have never had money shame in their life, which I'll explain what money shame is very soon. They've just simply lived a carefree, happy existence, no ego, very humble, just goddamn happy. They are so happy once they met a couple in a Cardiff pub in Wales in 1960 and offered them any time they were in Australia to come and stay over. 45 years later, they got a phone call from Sydney Airport. It was the Welsh couple looking to stay over. My mum and dad had no recollection they had made this offer. They couldn't even remember the Welsh couple. But when they heard they were at the airport and on the phone, they simply invited them over. These people stayed about two months. And I'll tell you what, if you've ever met anyone from Wales all they talk about is bacon. They love bacon. Bacon sandwiches, eggs and bacon, you name it. It is all about bacon for Welsh people. So I tell you what, my mum and dad, absolutely cracking human beings. And they put me in a position to grow up so well. However, my name is Sam Saggers. And yes, I have suffered money shame at various stages of my life, in particular in my early years. My mum and dad allowed me to grow up in Australia's wealthiest suburb. They bought a property in the suburb of Hunters Hill. If you've heard my early episode, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you'll probably understand I grew up in a neighbourhood of very wealthy people. My Peers were billionaires and millionaires, and I was hardly that. I was actually uh, really what we would call in Australia a lower middle class or lower class person. And I'll explain how I got to live in such a wealthy, wealthy neighborhood. Now, here in Australia and New Zealand, no doubt, we have a class system an absolute class system. In the United Kingdom, you have like the royal family as part of their class system. Here, it's a little bit different, but we are without question a class-orientated money marketplace. We have the old money class. The old money class is really money which stems back literally multiple generations. Old money 
is something which is in most major cities. Typically in Sydney, it's in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, Melbourne the same and Brisbane the same. Old money is connected to real estate in a big way. In fact, most of the premier holdings in Australia and New Zealand are really owned by old money. They had invested in land and banked uh, commercial properties in certain areas uh, literally hundreds of years ago. I grew up in Hunnisil, which was an old money marketplace. In fact, one of my early friends in life was a chap called Ted Grace. The Graces started Grace Brothers, which today is known as Myers. They literally started that at the turn of the last century. So you can imagine the wealth they had. In fact, Ted's house looked like Buckingham Palace. And if you've ever seen an episode of The Bachelor, that's actually Ted's house. So I tell you what, I was not part of that class system, but I grew up observing, getting to know that class system in a big way. The second class of people out there are really part of the new money class. And this is people who typically have a net worth of anywhere from, say, $1 to $5 million. And they've done it through their own generation of working hard and being obviously clearly really smart to be able to accomplish such a goal. So some classes are three, four generations old. New money class is simply uh, brand new. And then we have the masses, which is the middle class and, of course, the lower class um, of society. Now, I don't say this to sort of start a fight around inequality and and, uh, human beings. Everyone, obviously, is given, um, you know, a great opportunity here in Australia and New Zealand to succeed no matter where you come from. But I think to understand money shame, it is so important to understand the class system so you can really start to understand why people get money shame and for the most part deal with some of the problems around the mental health issues of the shame of money. Now, for me, I grew up obviously in this very old established suburb with old money. Everyone in the suburb was stinking rich. 16-year-olds drove Mercedes-Benz and Porsches and uh, you name it, Ferraris on occasions. It was literally ridiculous. If you've ever seen 9021, uh, Beverly Hills 90210, that that is the suburb. It's still like that today. So how did my parents get to live in this suburb? What happened? Like, we were literally a lower middle class, even lower class family. Well, my mum and dad stumbled across a property opportunity and jumped on it without too much due diligence. And it was years later we worked out how we got to live in this fancy suburb. Today in Sydney, there is one street that is effectively Chernobyl, one street. It's actually a parade. It's called Nelson's Parade Hunters Hill. 
It is Sydney's Chernobyl. Now, if you don't know what Chernobyl is or Chernobyl, I don't know how to pronounce it. Obviously, in uh, the USSR, there was some, uh, some nuclear power plants and in the Ukraine, there was one particular power plant called Chernobyl. It erupted and today that area uh, is, is a wasteland because of the toxic radioactive waste. In Sydney, we had a watch factory which literally in the 1930s was creating watches and to make watches glow, they used uranium. And the watch factory had obviously a lot of waste and it simply dumped it in this particular area or on this street, Nelson's Parade. Years later, um, land subdivision happened there and new homes were built right on top of the harbour in Hunters Hills, Nelson's Parade. Guess what? I moved to the radioactive waste of Chernobyl, Sydney. Yes, I am Chernobyl boy. And obviously, growing up as Chernobyl boy had its difficulties because most people who, who lived in Hunter's Hill were simply absolutely incredibly wealthy. I was so lucky to be around them and exposed to them to understand money shame, to understand the good bits and the bad bits around wealth. So I grew up in this rather awkward dynamic of being surrounded by wealth. My mum drove a Datsun Sunny, which was so rusted, you, when we sat in the back seat and drove up the road, you literally saw the gravel of the road while we were driving. It was incredible. People had rich dogs in this suburb. People had Sharpays, uh, I think they're called. They're like $25,000 a dog. I had a dog called Crypto and it had chronic flea condition. I was Chernobyl boy with the dog with fleas. And literally, I had to grow up in this alpha money community. Now, I got to meet some incredible people, people I'm still friends with today. And I have so many awesome memories from growing up in this suburb. But like any kid in any suburb, you have your crew growing up as like a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, and then there's usually another crew. That other crew really didn't like me, and I didn't particularly like them. This all came to a head when I was 14 years old, walking alone down the street to my local shop, and a car pulled up of 16-year-old kids of the group I hated and of the group who hated me. And we had been taunting each other for years. And at some point, it was going to boil over. And this was the day it boiled over. For me, I knew this fight was about money. The fact that I really was Chernobyl boy and they were old money, and I wanted to settle the score. 
I literally wanted to end this matter by having a fight. The car pulled up and a voice yelled out to me and I literally said, let's do it, let's fight. Knowing that I could not possibly win. My theory was pretty simple, that if I could show this group that I wasn't scared of them, then effectively my money shame would be resolved through fighting. In other words, they would have a new respect for me by being willing to fight them one on five and solve my issue of money shame uh, as Chernobyl boy that way. So the boys got out of the car and only one of them decided to fight me. And I tell you what, it was a fair fight and I lost. He literally punched me twice, smashed my nose apart and the others jumped on him and pulled him off, hit me and they all sort of scooted off in their, in their luxury automobile. So I went home licking my wounds and it was a fair fight and certainly... Um, when I look back on it, it was a great lesson for me because I got to start to explore how I felt about money. And the lesson for me was quite deep. Initially, I decided that violence was going to be the way I solve my money shame, Chernobyl boy shame. So it was around that time I started going to the local public school and at the local public school I met people from all walks of life and certainly when we linked uh, the class system there was no one from the uh, old money class. There was no one from the new money class. It was simply the middle or lower class at that school system. And I got to meet some really cool guys that were from all parts of really the greater local community. And there was arguably guys there from what we would call the ghetto. I don't know if today you would say it's too ghetto because lo and behold, uh, you know, 30 years later, all those suburbs are now multi-million dollar suburbs. But in the day, there were ghettos. There was a lot of housing commission. There was a lot of, uh, you know, people... Um, who were considered then as part of the lower socioeconomic zone. I became friends with these people and really we formed a bit of a gang and the gang started to come into the wealthier suburb where I live and it turns out poor kids love hanging out in a rich area. It's great for poor kids. There's a lot of things you can nick. There's a lot of disruption you can create. And the poor kids and I guess the rich kids of this neighbourhood started to do battle. And it was really a bit of a violent time in my life. In fact, I'm not a violent person, but the year, years of when I was sort of 14, 15 or 16, I was hanging around really juvenile delinquents that were quite criminally uh, minded. These guys had knives and replica guns and did drugs and, uh, you know, some of them ended up going on to serve time in prison for literally over a decade. Others also went on to be very creative and 
uh, in the eyes of society, very successful around money. So we all, as children, had this kind of money experience. And my money shame experience, the story I'm telling you right now, was I used violence to control my shame around feeling like I didn't belong. And a lot of that violence uh, really started to escalate. And really, a lot of the kids of the neighbourhood started to get, you know, really beaten up by my gang. And for the most part, it was, I guess you would probably look at it as just kids uh, being kids, but there was a lot of hidden meaning behind it. And really, the wealth, that wealthy gang, which didn't like me, I ended up controlling that wealthy gang by using violence, fear. And it was really around sort of 16 or 17 years of age where I said, you know what, this is this is crazy. There's, uh, there's, this is not the path I want to go on. I want to go on a better path. Really, I started to listen at that point to smarter people in my community that taught me about money is something that you get when you work hard and invest smart. And the idea of controlling money through violence is simply flawed. So I think a lot of us have a story like that and there's other versions of that story this is simply just my uh interpretation but the saboteur that is within us all absolutely holds people back around money and for me my money saboteur was violence and a lot of people have a different relationship with money which i'll talk about what I am not talking about is getting rich quick. I'm talking about a healthy relationship with money so you can absolutely move on with your life. I think if you don't acknowledge where you've come from, it is very difficult to comprehend where to go. And the money conversation is such a big conversation for property investors. I guarantee you though right now because of coronavirus there is a large part of society doing it absolutely tough when it comes to money. People are probably suffering and no doubt feeling a little bit volatile when it comes to money shame. There are certainly people that are not but absolutely many people will feel a sense of shame right now because where they are in their life is not where they thought they would be, not where they dreamed to be. Now, shame is an interesting feeling, right? It is actually the idea that we believe we are flawed or unworthy or don't belong. That is what shame is. And when you think about my money shame story of my juvenile delinquent youth, really it was the shame of feeling I didn't belong, that I was not worthy of being around this old money class system. And obviously for me, I just had to overcome what that meant and remove the idea that 
My self-worth is actually connected to money. I got to unlock that experience before I even became an adult. By age 17 or 18, I had literally let go of the fact that money is in any way connected to my self-worth. And if you speak to anyone I do business with, uh, my business partners, my customers, uh, if you speak to my friends, my family, what you'll understand about me is money is not who I am. It has no association with the real me. If I've got it, that's great. If I don't, I don't really feel too much differently because I'm very happy in my own skin. And a lot of people who struggle with money are fundamentally a little bit unhappy in their own skin. Those that are quite often successful with money are actually just happy people have no uh, illusions around that money is um, going to bring them some sort of happiness. It's an interesting dynamic because if you can sort yourself out, really the money part will follow. A lot of people, though, want to sort the money part out without sorting themselves out. And I guarantee you a lot of this stems back to the idea that, you know, you we didn't talk about money around the kitchen table as, as kids or even... Uh, you know, at school, we didn't talk about politics or, or religion quite often or even sex. These were kind of like taboo subjects. So kind of like sex, money is kind of like this breeding ground for shame. Um, and we carry this shame forward. And I guarantee you today that there is a lot of people who feel shame around money. And the simple reason why, as to why is we measure our performance and self-worth associated to what we have. That's, that's how a capitalist society works. We measure our self-worth associated to what we, ha- what we have. And again, I can really speak from experience here that once you let go of your money-shame story you're absolutely going to never look back and only look forward. Now, there's some great talks on money shame. Um, Probably my favourite is Tammy Lally's money talk. Go Google it. I'm sure you can find it. However, in her talk, she does recognise that 7 out of 10 suicides from men is around money. Back to really what I was saying in the beginning, I guarantee you there's a chap sitting in his car right now, outside his house, going, holy shit, how am I going to pay for what's inside that house? And feels very vulnerable and won't talk about his money shame issues. And when he walks into his house, he's going to put on a brave face and smile. But deep down inside, that chap is absolutely suffering so i say that because uh i I know how serious um the education of 
of uh, and mental health is of us male species. We can be a bit fragile inside, but absolutely look tough on the outside. So um, if you do have some relationships with your, your friends and your your family and and uh, and and a man's involved, and you want to unlock some of these deeper conversations. I think you need to approach it. And my advice with men, we love going for a walk and talking. So whether that's uh, you know two blokes having a chat or or ladies, if you want to get something out of a man, take him for a walk, and he'll be more open to uh, telling you how he's feeling and what potentially he's suffering from. So money uh, is about you being the best version of you. And again, the money part will follow. If you can make the best version of you, I guarantee you the money is going to follow. You know, society has quite often this really warped view of, of money and people. Quite often we dehumanize people and moralize money. Now, think about like when you walk past a homeless person in the street, quite often our mind is moralized around money and has no feeling or connection for the homeless guy. And really, in some respects, all of us are guilty of quite often dehumanizing that story. So money shame is real, right? And for me, it appeared and manifested in my early years, which I was able to deal with within my early years. And violence was kind of my uh, trigger. And really, I've never had any sort of violent streaks in my life, except for when I was 14, 15 or 16. And if anything, I was really a puppeteer of violence rather than, a, uh, I guess, um, you know, fighter guy but money shame does appear and again this isn't about those rich kids like those rich kids families worked hard and they deserve their money and for me my family did some creative things to go live in chernobyl and again it's it's really how i value myself which is the conversation and I often even see today in many of my wealthy friends a level of not feeling worthy around money. Quite often for them, particularly the old money establishment, they're fourth generation wealth. And for them, they often feel like they are not living up to the expectation of their father or their grandfather. And are letting the team down, so to speak. So I often see money shame manifest itself in a feeling of not being worthy around money. And again, a lot of my friends do not feel worthy of the money that is connected to them. Money shame. And what that does in their life, it holds them back from being the best version of them. Other people in my life aren't facing up to money. They avoid it and they simply would prefer to go through life without even facing money. Their money shame is, in some respects, 
the fact that they won't even talk about money or invest in anything or do anything about money. There is kind of like this, uh, I guess, underlying belief that they're not worthy of money, which again is just a, a way of believing about money. It's a belief system. It can manifest in things like drugs. I've got friends on drugs and it's connected to money. I've got friends who are depressed and it is all connected to money. Their belief system around money. Again, I, I've got to bring it back that if you associate your self-worth to money, you're, you're going to end up having a collision. You're going to go on a collision course with yourself. And... This, 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 is, this is really um, a huge topic. I think probably the number one uh, money shame thing, though, is really people trying to keep up with the Joneses and buy things that fundamentally they can't afford because their ego is telling them that they're ashamed and they've got to look better, look uh, wealthier, look, look uh, smarter to achieve something in life. And we probably all know someone who is driving a car they shouldn't drive, spending money on holidays they shouldn't do, all based on the idea of this concept of not dealing with your belief system around money. All right? So uh, I'm here to tell you it's, it's you you got to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it's going to manifest itself and it, you're going to end up with $100,000 of a credit card debt and all this bad money and bad juju in your life. And of course, anyone who's listened to, you know, some of the bigger challenges in society around depression, suicide, domestic violence, a lot of this is connected to the idea that money is somehow going to make you happy and really, that is the worst idea you can think of. Remember, for me, I got to experience this at a very young age. So fortunately, I've been able to deal with my money uh, issues um, and money shame issues. And I then went on to really today speak about money. And it really probably deep down is connected to my early years of money shame. So I want to give you some tips if uh, any of this is resonating with you. For me, I think it's important to build money muscle. I'm going to give you some money muscle ideas. Really, the first money muscle idea I want to leave with you today is you cannot let uh, someone else think for you when it comes to money, all right? If your belief system hasn't been tackled around money, and you're going to uh, trust money with someone else because you don't want to deal with your money shame conversation, you're going to end up in a bad place. You're just simply outsourcing something you need to discuss with yourself and get out, all right? So thinking someone else is going to do it for you is not cool. You've got to own up to how your belief system works around money and then you got to go and fix that and then money will come to you. The other thing I think is important 
which is a money muscle idea, is the idea that really no one is born knowing anything about money. No one is educated about money um, early on, right? For the most of us, 95% of people in society literally get to the adult life with no comprehension around money. That is really normal, including myself, right? Including so many other people. Warren Buffett didn't become, you know, extremely wealthy until he was in his late 50s. So we're all learning to be good when it comes to money. And if you're hard on yourself around money and you're not sort of comprehending that it is just a continuous education process, you've got to be willing to learn then you're not giving yourself the right muscles around money. You can do some simple things like start, you know, a daily cash flow, create a budget, identify your expenses, you know, educate yourself. And I've done a money podcast before and I think a lot of that has those, you know, broader basic concepts around being a good money uh, person. So... Money muscles are big, right? And you don't want to be a judger of money. The third muscle is not to judge. You know, again, those rich kids I fought, um, which I'm sort of like, I don't know, does it feel like I'm judging them by calling them rich kids, inverted commas? Uh, I'm having to do that to explain the story, but fundamentally, they deserve to be rich. They, Their parents worked hard for them, right? So I shouldn't... Um, and will not judge them for being rich or poor or, or anything like that. And again, if you want to build muscle around money, you've got to let it all go and not be a judger on someone else's um, you know, ability to go and make money. And I think the fourth muscle is a deep one. No one will value you more than you. Simple as that. No one is going to value you more than you. So you, again, have to really manifest that your belief system around money is, is, is good. And I guarantee you, 50% of people listening to this are like, what are you talking about? I've got no money problems. And then 50% of other people are understanding where I'm coming from. So for me, to, to be the best version of you, I think you've got to understand your money belief. Remember, a lot of people believe their self-worth is tied to money. And a lot of that stems from the way society functions around money. You know, we have all these associations. Things like money is dirty. Money is the root of all evil. The best, best things in life are free. Well, not technically. So, again, we have all these associations, right? And a lot of this then comes back to how we behave. And I guarantee you, a lot of, of listeners probably grew up in a household that got divorced and money was an issue, or grew up and potentially saw domestic violence, and the backbone of that was actually around money. So we got to deal with it, right? And again, I think a lot of people believe their self-worth is tied to money, and as soon as you let that go, you're going to permit yourself to be vulnerable and move ahead in life. So I always coach people 
that. It's best just to really write down your beliefs around money. Get the pen and paper out. Write yourself a little letter. How you felt about money as a kid. How you felt about money growing up. What were your parents' beliefs around money. What your siblings' beliefs were around money. What your uh, current beliefs are around money. And potentially you can flesh out a little bit of where your money comprehension comes from and you can start to put to bed your feelings around money and why it affects the person you are today. Now, I've been running literally for the last 18 years a mentoring program through Positive Real Estate which fundamentally helps people understand money. Money, the money conversation's a deep conversation and for us, we get together every month and have done for the last 18 years, got together and talked about property and money and the marketplace. It is such a deep conversation that we almost run Alcoholics Anonymous for money, fundamentally for property investors because money will come back and uh, your belief system around money quite often rears itself up a lot, particularly with real estate, because real estate is such a slow way to wealth. And as it's a slow way to wealth, and as you have curveballs in life and your belief system, it's like this puzzle that just keeps going. So we constantly work on it. If you want to free yourself financially, I think uh, you've got to to let go of, of any limiting beliefs you have around money. And I think, as I've said in many other podcasts, money is really just gives you bandwidth. It gives you the opportunity to not think about things which really cramp your bandwidth, that create extra stress on your life. And the main thing which I believe is fantastic about money is it allows you to fully be present to your purpose on this earth. It is as simple as that. That is really what money does. It gives you bandwidth. To get the bandwidth, you've got to work on yourself. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. I've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you today. Let's hope that... uh, coronavirus check comes in um, all good and uh, tell you what thanks for listening i'll catch you soon on the next installment of the urban property investor thanks for tuning in to the urban property investor to never miss an episode make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on youtube i would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.